This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings. I'm Don Vaughn here with Colin Campbell, and this election season will result in several new people in our state legislature, although, you know, focus, of course, is on the U.S. Senate race and the presidential race and governor and everything. But we're talking about 170 people between the two chambers of the legislature, and they could flip either party. We don't know. But another factor in that is the the faces, the names that we see and hear all the time and who's in who's in power in each party. And there are certain stars that are obvious, of course, the speaker and whoever the Senate leader is and and majority minority leaders. Uh, but there's more. There's a lot of personalities that that go on in that building. So anyway, this week we're going to talk about some of the rising stars of the in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party of those in office who are running again and have some leadership roles, but they're not in the top leadership roles. And some of them get attention for what they say and how they say it. So let's start. I don't know. Where do you want to start? Colin, you you throw something Yeah, I guess we should sort of start a little bit of the background of this. I mean, you know, if you're watching the final months of session, a lot of of this year's news has been the big retirements, Um, the people who are sort of the the number two, number three echelon of power. I mean, we're, I should say that, you know, the Republicans keep control of the chambers. Likelihood is Phil Berger is still your Senate leader. Tim Moore is still your House Speaker. Um, but as far as the next layer down, you know, we've lost or, or, or are going to be losing a lot of people. Uh, Senate Majority Leader, top budget writer Harry Brown, uh, Republican, is stepping down uh, at the end of this term. House Rules Chairman David Lewis uh, resigned in a scandal uh, over campaign finance. Um, a lot of other uh, key folks who've been around and, and been key aspects of particularly the Republican majority are, are on their way out or are already gone. And that's definitely allowing, even if the Republicans keep control, a lot of new blood to sort of flow to the top uh, in terms of setting the direction of the next legislature. Um, and this year, the last two years session with the Republicans losing their supermajority and the Democrats really coming together uh, as a party to, to block a lot of what was going on uh, when Cooper vetoed stuff. Um, that's allowed um, sort of fresh leadership within that party. And those are the people who I think could take on very senior leadership roles should the Democrats uh, win the, the chamber majority or one or the other um, this session. So sort of with that as the backdrop, I think that's, you know, the, the reason to to start looking ahead a little bit past the election at, you know, who are they going to be the, the key people um, in either party, uh, regardless of, you know, what the uh, actual balance of power is going to be. I think anyone that spends time in the chambers, there's always certain senators, certain House members who will get up and talk. And of course, we assume that um, those of you who are listening have all decided that in your caucus meetings before, you know, so of course, Darren Jackson always gets up and talk and talks um, in the House and, and the way that they handle that. But then there'll be, you know, did they decide that, you know, it's Marsha Moray is going to talk about this topic or, or, or the other topic? And some people 
never stand up at all. And we don't know if that's because they just don't want to speak in public, even though they're a politician. And certainly you had to have spoken in public um, when you were running Um, or, you know, they just pick who they think are the best um, the best people to to pitch their idea. So in the Senate, for one, a lot of those people that always talked are are gone, you know, on the Democratic side, like Floyd McKissick, who always, I mean, they would, you know, the reason he got the ox meter, he said he only got it once, but certainly deserved it many more times for his long, uh, long discussions. He left for a utilities commission appointment. Um, And that was almost, oh gosh, almost a year ago, it seems like, or many months ago, the process was dragged out forever. Pre-Trinity ago in 2020. Right, right, pre-corona. And then, um, you know, Rick Gunn was always someone that that got up, which is not a thing anymore. And um, Senator Flynn Gunn, because he was always doing the alcohol bills and the gambling. And this year it was all the reopening bills. Yeah. And then had some, you know, personal issues too um, going on, which wasn't running um, again anyway. Um, but some of the others that, that stood up because they already have this position of power, because they're good at making their pitches and obviously have supported the caucus or one rising star, I would say, on the Republican side in the Senate is uh, Deanna Ballard, who um, most of what she is talking about is um, education and, and that policy and, and gives a lot of, you know, how heartfelt speeches. And then also just like, you know, this is why it is with policy speeches. And why don't you, you know, vote with me on this and understand that. So I think that that she is probably the most one of the most prominent, I would say, of like the top few, I'd say maybe top three of the Republican senators, um, certainly the highest profile uh, female Republican senator. And yeah, I think she's got a lot more attention lately in part because I think the Senate Republicans realize there are quite a lot of middle-aged white guys um, and they, you know, want to have some level of different voices in there. And and Ballard sort of sticks out as someone who's really engaged on education policy, as you said. And um, her background is interesting. I think she works for the um, uh, Franklin Graham charity organization. She uh, represents Watauga County and some of the surrounding counties up in the mountains. Um, But we've heard a lot more from her in the last session uh, sort of joining the, uh, I'd say sort of the Republican Senate women, the, the sort of behind the scenes power players are, are Senator Joyce Kravick, who's big on oh, yeah. healthcare policy. Um, and Kathy Harrington, who's one of the budget writers, but who doesn't really say a whole lot on the floor. Uh, she doesn't really give media interviews. So she's very much sort of a behind the scenes power player. But she's always there. I think I used a statement of, of hers. You know, that's that's usually how she'll communicate publicly and, and not as much on the floor. But yeah, there's a lot of the behind the scenes factor. And Krawick, I think, is, is um, yeah, I, I'd say like, you know, much more much more established, but as far as who we might um, be seeing even more of, I would I would think maybe more of Ballard. And I don't think that's just the, I mean, obviously there are gatekeepers, but you also have to fight your way through the gate um, too, to, to get attention regardless of, um, you know, the, I mean, you have to work with your party, but also you can kind of make it your own. And I think that if um, Lisa Stone Barnes, who uh, is trying to move from the House to the Senate, if she wins, then um, Johnston County, then I think that she could also be, um, you know, rising star in the party like uh, like Ballard. Um, it'll kind of we'll find out, you know, a lot of it is. And again, you know, our perspective and, and those of you who are listening to this are obviously pretty wonky. You're what you see um, when you're actually in the chambers is different than than the public. And it's just kind of like what what personalities work well for for how you are in the building versus how you are out on the campaign trail, such as it is this year, or or in your own district. Um, 
I would say, I guess we've talked about Republicans a lot in the Senate. Um, I mean, he's already in a position of power, but uh, Jay Chaudhary um, in Wake County, he's the Democratic whip, I guess, right? I want to make sure I have that. Yeah, so essentially the number two leader behind Dan Blue, and sort of Dan Blue's been in office so long, you have to figure at some point um, he's going to retire. I don't think next session would be the time, but um, when he steps down, then I think Chaudhary is sort of the logical next person to step into the leadership role for the Democrats in the Senate. Yeah, I would I would think that would be um, assumed. And he seems to kind of he seems to be a uh, it's like I guess it's a very political phrase, but a consensus builder type, you know, within his own caucus. But then also, um, you know, he would still I don't know what they like really thought of each other when when they weren't on the floor and everyone was watching. But with uh, Jerry Tillman, who's another person who always talked, not necessarily about policy in the Senate. There's going to be definitely fewer speeches about country songs in the Senate (laughs) next session. But, uh, you know, they they do actually get along with each other sometimes. And they like to complain that we don't say that uh, they get along with each other sometimes of both parties. But we we do. Maybe it's not like a story every day that says, did you know that they agreed on on this today? but I think that Chaudhary is one of those in, in a sense of like sort of like McKissick um, that can, I think, find common ground with others, even if you have difference in, in policy. But if you really want a bill to pass, um, you generally can't do it alone unless you have a supermajority. And even if you have a supermajority, um, you may not, you know, two years later. So you got to I mean, people yeah. around forever, like, you know, they have long memories. Yeah, and if Chaudhary ultimately rises to you know Senate leader, you know he's going to be the first non-white person to hold that role, which is sort of a you know historic, uh, notable thing that that would happen in that situation. Right. I think you were telling me the other day that that Dan Blue was House Speaker at one point. I think is that. The- yeah, he was in the early '90s, um, and so House leadership has sort of broken that glass seat- ceiling. Uh, Senate, not so much. Um, and of course, there haven't been women in the top spots in either chamber. I don't think over the course of history, the highest anyone's uh, arisen is, uh, you know, House Speaker Pro Tem, which is kind of more of a ceremonial role. Sarah Stevens is in that role, a Republican uh, in the House right now, but um, no one's gone beyond that. Well, Bev Perdue, I mean, as, yeah, as, you know. as you know, Lieutenant Governor and and certainly a, a key figure in the Senate before she became Lieutenant Governor. Sometimes it's um, it's it's shocking to see how um, how few women are in the, are in power in state government. And again, like I, I know if you guys are playing um, Domecast Bingo at home, this is where you mark your spot where Don mentions Durham. But um, after seeing how how government is run and representative um, in a city like that or county like that, and then looking at the state and thinking like, oh, that's right, you know, there are different uh, different demographics of of people in power once you uh, once you get to the state level, and it's um, not always representative. But not I actually ran the numbers once on you know what is the African American population in North Carolina versus what's the representation in the House and the Senate, and of course men and women there's slightly more women in the world than men. And um, it's not, it's not what it could be. Um, but it's not, um, it could be worse, I guess is what I'm saying. So well, let's talk about the House side. Um, Jason Sane is already you know, a Republican. He's already uh, powerful. Um, but he isn't the same uh, level, obviously, a speaker more, who everybody knows. Um, and I think within the building, David Lewis, who was who has gone now, obviously was was much higher profile, probably because of the September 11th budget override, which um, another you know rising star in the Democratic Party would be Deb Butler um, with her you know I will not yield um, 
to more. So um, I would say both of those in, in the house. Who, who else do you think in the house, Colin? Yeah, I mean, Sane would definitely be a big one because he's, you know, risen up to budget writer. Um, he's actually, one one thing people don't realize is he's taken on some leadership roles in ALEC, which is that conservative group that promotes conservative uh, sort of template legislation, model legislation for state houses all across and, and spends a lot of money promoting that. Um, Destin Hall, who has been appointed rules chair uh, since David Lewis's departure. Hall is a attorney from up in Caldwell County, the Lenore area. Um very young. I think he's he's my age. I've, I've joked in the past that he's sort of the Scotty McCreary of the legislature because he's got this deep baritone voice coming out of a guy who looks like he's in his 20s. I think he may be in his 30s. But, um, you know, he's uh, definitely Tim Moore's favoring him to, to take on that role. And he's already been doing a lot of the election law stuff, which, you know, we, we are in election year and, and that has a pretty big impact on, you know, how, how our elections are run, all these bills that you know, set the rules of the game out, you know, six months ago. Um, so that's one. Um, I think others on the, the Democratic side, uh, Greg Meyer has been sort of instrumental in um, a lot of the candidate recruitment and campaign stuff for the Dems. Um, he's from Orange County and is probably a little more to the left than some of the more moderate wings of the, the Democratic Party, but uh, certainly uh, somebody who's who's got the likelihood of taking on some leadership roles if the Dems were to take power. I think, too, I mean, looking ahead to like, I, I would assume that Sane would run for for a higher office on the Senate side. You know, Democrat Jeff Jackson is already high profile. Um, so I think that he, you know, there's already been talk of him running for higher office. So I think we could see that. Um, so I, it'd be interesting to see that after this next um, these next two years, if others, you know, want to move into other roles and then and then we're kind of, you know, who's who's the next line of people that are working or who the behind the scenes people are. One to mention Durham again, um, Vernetta Alston. Um, this will be her first um, first elected. Right. She was appointed after uh, Marion Black died and she. Uh, she's she's quiet, but she's already talked a lot. She's a lawyer. She worked for the Center for Death Penalty Litigation um, in Durham because I covered her when she was on city council. Um, she was the one behind this Workers' Rights Commission, um, which if you've read my commissioner labor story or any other labor stories, there's labor doesn't have labor. The actual workers have very little, very little power in North Carolina. Um but she has kind of worked sort of behind the scenes on, on what she can do on those issues and, and actually, you know, came up and, and gave some speeches on the House floor, um, which I, you know, I didn't know if she would or not, you know, depending on, again with the, you know, do you, do you want to do this, you know, publicly and stand up versus like the at least 50 people, you know, who never, who never say anything at all that, that shines a spotlight on them. So I think it'll be interesting to see what, um, where Vernetta Alston goes, if she is someone that's more uh, the spotlight that we see or that she's behind the scenes or a mix of both. Um, but she's uh, she's in her 30s, I believe. I think she described herself as an older millennial and she's pretty new to politics. Um, when I covered her in city council, that was her first race. So um, so one term on council and then now um, now in the House and she's running unopposed this fall. So So she'll definitely yeah. be there. Yeah, you know what's fascinating about the the people who have only been in office a few months sort of speaking out is that when I started covering the legislature in 2015, that was considered taboo. If you were in your freshman session, you really should were supposed to be like, you know, seen and not heard on the back row. Like very few of them, you know, gave speeches and that was just sort of considered the the tradition is that you gotta be here for a while before you start 
giving floor speeches and, you know, sponsoring edible bills and amendments. Um, and I think this past session has really changed that because uh, you do have a lot of really energetic uh younger leaders who, who really want to step up from day one and, and don't want to sit around and wait their turn for somebody else to retire before they, you know, start being a, an active player in what's going on there. Yeah. And I don't think it necessarily uh, depends on age. It could be that you get like a, you know, pretty powerful position in your thirties. I think Jeff Jackson, uh, the Democrat in the Senate is, is still in his thirties. Like I said, you know, Alston is, and then there could be people that are elected and they're 50, you know, and this is their first time, um, you know, getting, getting more of a spotlight. And so they're the up and comer at age 55 or something because they're, they're new to the game. And maybe the person that was in power who was, who was 40, you know, or younger just didn't do a good enough job. And you gotta, you know, you gotta, um, fight for that, uh, for that attention there. And I know there's other people we've, we've forgotten. Um, I will say that Jeff uh, Jackson is a rising star, but I think part of that is that his star is rising in a different direction as opposed to chamber leadership. I think people are largely, largely expecting him to run for U.S. Senate in 2022. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of going to be his next move more than anything else. Yeah. And like I said, I have no idea if Sane would run for something else, but I think he's one of those candidates that the that the party would support that could could go that direction. And and who knows if Ballard is or, or, or Chaudhary. I, I have no idea. Batch, I think I can't remember if we mentioned her yet. Um, she's, she's gotten a lot of attention, of course, and you already mentioned Meyer and the Senate uh, talking still about Democrats on the Senate side. Um, CM Searcy, the, uh, Wake County Democrat that's, that's fairly new. It'd be interesting to see, um, if we hear more from him. And then again, if Stone Barnes on the Republican side, if she wins her Senate race, um, how that'll change because, you know, there's. 120 chairs in the house and that's a lot of people to to get attention you know and you have to however you work it within your caucus or just decide i'm standing up anyway and and then deal with the fallout when they meet later um versus the senate where it's you know fewer people so smaller smaller pond bigger egos um you know more more formality um and and a different way of of, of getting the attention but i always think it's fun i think we had a a, a podcast, I don't know, sometime last year, maybe, where we talked about just the differences between the the culture of the House and the Senate. Um, and I, I, I think that's really interesting. It'll be interesting to see how Stone Barnes is moving, moving chambers. And I, I'm, other people have moved chambers. I mean, Blue did. I don't, do you know, yeah. you probably Bob know. Steinberg Mark. did. I went from House to Senate um, last election cycle. Um, it, it seems to be a lot of people will move up from House to Senate because obviously you're being one of 50 as opposed to one of uh, 120, you're going to have more power. Inevitably, you're going to have a larger district. Right. And maybe the rising star factor is moving, moving chambers, you know, or, or whatever your, or maybe it's your pol your policy and that, and that, you know, somebody was behind the scenes on some bill, um, you know, that we, that didn't get much attention, but is there, um, is there life's work, you know, that, that we don't always see. So, so any of you who are still mad, you didn't get attention about your, your policy bill, <laughs> let us know. Maybe we'll mention it in the, in a future one, since, um, obviously we know there's a lot of behind the scenes work and all the staff at the building too. So, all right. Any last, uh, any last thoughts on, uh, who's going to get that, uh, star spotlight, uh, after the yeah. election? I think we've covered most of them, but I will say what's interesting. So I've been thinking through this as we've had this conversation is obviously the election hasn't happened yet. All these people have to win another term before they can potentially be a rising star. But very few of the names we've mentioned are in competitive districts. I think Sydney Batch in the House um, might be one of the few that has because of the nature of the district being, you know, 
more or less evenly split between the parties has a sh- chance of, of being defeated, but everybody else is in a safe seat. Um, and I'm, you know, it's interesting to see if that plays into your ability to be out front as a leader. Um, you don't have to worry about a hugely contested election, so you can kind of do your thing. Um, and perhaps some of the folks who are um, facing stronger challenges have had to be a little bit more cautious about their approach during session because, you know, we're in the election season and all these outside groups, the opposing caucus, they're searching through every speech, every bill you file to find something that can be a you know nasty attack ad in a mailer. Um, but if you're in a safe seat, and, and that's the case for our current leadership, Tim Moore and Phil Berger mm-hmm. have virtually no chance of, you know, losing their, their position, um, then you're, you're in you know better spot to um, take on these kind of leadership roles, I think. Well, it's from within your party, you know, I mean, Durham couldn't be bluer if it tried. And it's all it's it's the primary or not even the primary. It's the pack endorsements before the primary, you know, or before you even run. And it's just very like that that ground level. Um, and, and maybe that's why you can be, you know, McKissick was Durham. Like maybe that's why you can you're freer to work with uh, the other party to get something done. Or also you're going to be held by your uh, dominant party to, to stick through, you know, and push, uh, push what they have. So, I mean, Wake, depending on how, is it District 18, if I'm saying that right? Um, you know, if Crawford wins that, then we're looking at uh, um, all blue Wake County. And so how is that going to be divided between, you know, Searcy and Chotery and Blue and Nickel? I think that's everybody. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how they work together. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's why this job is fun. It's like, we don't really, we, we, there's always going to be some surprise race. Um, and then I'm excited for the first session because I've never, I don't think I've covered like the beginning of a long. yeah, I haven't covered the beginning of a long session before in that first day when everyone that's newly elected comes in. And so it'll, It'll be fun. Yeah. As a reporter, I'm kind of cheering for a close margin between the, the you know, party breakdown, you know, regardless of which party has the majority or even a, a tie, because, you know, the closer the numbers are between the two parties, the less that things can get decided behind closed doors and, you know, just rammed through. There's going to be a lot more, you know, political give and take, which is as political reporters is super fun to follow. So a situation, you know, one of the scenarios that we're looking at is what if the Senate's 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans and then the lieutenant governor is the the tiebreaker? Um, what if the House is one party? What if the Senate's the other party? And these are all, you know, potential scenarios from this election. And it could get real interesting come January if one of that scenarios comes to pass. Yeah, I'm excited. I think at least these these elections will be determined by January, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. About- <laughs> one hopes. Um, you know, I did hear, you know, we're, we're worried about... Um, how the election is going to go at the national level and whether it's decided. Um, but I did hear some comments that with so many people voting absentee or early voting this year, um, it may be that there's so few absentee ballots um, left to count in North Carolina after election day that uh, the people who have already voted and had votes have been processed uh, by the end of the day, election day, you know, we could get those returns in pretty early on election night, which would be a, a decent percentage of the electorate to, to see. So, Fingers crossed for our sanity in November that, you know, we don't have a long drawn out drama, but I'm sure there will be at least one race that has that. Right. What's the phrase? Like, you hope for the best, expect the worst. And, you know, for sure. Okay. Well, we will be back in a minute with Headliner of the Week. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, and we're back with Headliner of the Week. Um, looking back at last week's uh, poll of the choices that we put out there. Uh, the clear winner with 43% was uh, the Cal Cunningham barbecue scandal. Uh, can we pause for a minute and just remember <laughs> the good old days of when Cal Cunningham's biggest scandal was that he was barbecuing with hot dog buns on a gas grill? Um, you know, that that uh, lasted not very long before he was, you know, it was overtaken by the Cal Cunningham uh, sext scandal. I had someone criticizing me for they thought I had said sex scandal, but I did say sexed with a T because that's, you know, effectively what right. the, the scandal is about. But uh, I'm sure Cunningham yes. wishes that uh, the barbecue thing was his uh, biggest liability and not this. Um, that beat out the presidential debate, which also feels like a distant memory, and uh, the Shaw University drumline uh, that was there for the Harris visit uh, a week or so ago or a month or a year ago. It feels like forever. I know. That was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that was like not maybe a week and a half ago, but that was before President Trump had coronavirus. It was before Tillis had coronavirus. It was before Cal Cunningham, you know, admitted to, um, I guess, adultery, if he's, I think, if that's what his latest um, admission is, or, or, or communicating with another woman that, that isn't his wife. Um so, yeah, the, the good old days of not knowing the difference between um, barbecue and a, and a grill, even though you're from North Carolina. So, um, yeah, I, it, there, there's been a lot, and I'm sure there'll be more before we, uh, before we talk again. Um, well, I'm going to throw out my headline of the week, which is uh, the groundbreaking of Freedom Park, which I covered this week. And anyone that, um, that works in the legislative building or has been to the legislative building or has um, been to the governor's mansion for whatever reason, um, you know, the holiday open house or whatever. There's there's a block between the, the executive mansion and the legislative building that has um, more state government buildings, but there's sort of a gravel lot, a weird concrete thing, gazebo. Somebody said it was a picnic shelter, but it looks like, you know, it's, it's sort of weird, like p- pagoda gazebo thing just in the middle of the parking lot. Yeah. And then there's, um, there's a nice, you know, little path and a bench and some flowers and this, um, and a plaque for, um, uh, commemorating crime victims, which is, which is a nice little thing. And then, but then it's next to the gravel lot and that weird concrete thing. Anyway, the, the, um, crime Victims Memorial will will be there incorporated into something new, which is going to be super cool. Um, and it's North Carolina Freedom Park. And it's the $1.5 million that finally came through um, in the state budget in the um, this summer after talking about for years being in the big overall vetoed budget. But anyway, the money's there. There's private funding. They have $3.2 million so far um, and are still raising money. And there's going to be a big piece of public art at the center of it called the Beacon of Freedom. And so I covered the socially distant mast uh, groundbreaking of that. Um, which Cooper ended up coming to. Um, we found out about the night before, but it was mostly the people that were involved in it. It was designed by the architecture firm of the late Phil Freelon and his son, Pierce Freelon, is a Durham City Council member now. Um, there was a, another local elected um, Raleigh City Council member, Corey Branch, was there. And then Natalie Murdoch, who's a senator, but used to work on the, or still um, has worked on on the project. So there's a political factor in there and not all the 
Republicans were happy that that they weren't invited. But uh, it was a, a pretty small thing and a few speeches and a and a nice day. And if you guys come around there the next time you're at work or driving by, there's a, a sign on the corner that kind of gives you a preview of what this is going to look like. And it should open in, in 2022. So anyway, Freedom Park is my headliner of the week. All right. Well, for mine, I am going to go with uh, Scandal of the Week. Uh not Cal Cunningham, because that uh, I guess that's technically still now considered last week's scandal, although it's still sort of percolating. And that is the uh, very short-lived uh, nomination of a, a guy named Carmick Lamb, an attorney for the uh, State Board of Elections. Um, the, if you remember, the, the history of that issue was that the two Republicans resigned in protest over a settlement agreement about absentee ballots that they had actually voted for, but the Republican Party was mad about. Uh, so the Republicans had to uh, submit some new names to Governor Cooper to pick from for the two Republican slots on that board. Uh, one of the people he chose was this guy, Carr McLam, who's an attorney, has uh, worked in the past in some high-level jobs in uh, state government. Um, but within almost like a day or so of, of the announcement that he was going to get this slot, um, some allegations surfaced from an ex-girlfriend of, of some abuse and various other things. Um, and uh, came out on Instagram. Our colleagues, uh, Lucille Sherman and Danielle Battaglia, it's been a day or so uh, digging into this and trying to vet those allegations uh, and then going back to the governor's office to say, you know, what's your take on this? And uh, their take evidently was, we're going to rescind this guy's nomination. Uh, we don't want the drama. Um, we don't want to have to, you know, deal with any more scandal on this board. Um, so he never actually got sworn in. Uh, he got taken off. And a guy named Stacy Four Eggers, uh, the fourth of uh, Watauga County, former State Board of Elections member, is going to be the Republican who's taken that seat uh, instead. So for uh, perhaps the quickest Me Too scandal that I've seen in state politics, um, Carmick Lamb's my, uh, my pick this week. All right. And I and we didn't even get to like the other, you know, Trump coat. So there's it's it's a fire hose really of news yeah. for the next couple if of we weeks. If we had four so. other reporters on this panel, I'm sure they could each come up with the headliners too, because there's this, just so much to choose from. Right. Uh all right. Well, I'm Don Vaughn for myself and Colin Campbell. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News & Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.